0: Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities.
1: Hello, and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag, insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plourd. We're excited to have you along. If you enjoy the show, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. Okay, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, July 5th. Today, block cheddar was at 135 a pound, up 2 cents from last week. Barrels are at 134 per pound, down 4 cents. Butter's at 247, up 2 cents. And lastly, in the dairy complex, non fat dry milk is trading at $1.11 per pound, down at about a penny on the week. Turning to grains, a wild ride in those markets the past 10 days. Nearby corn is at 558 per bushel, down 5% on the week, while soybeans are near 1551 up 7%. Let's turn to our panel of top-tier Everag teammates. We're excited today to have Ryan Yonkman, a leader of our producer risk management practice, Ryan Fletcher, who heads up our commercial desk, and last but not least, Jake Kinsley, a key player in our feed advisory business. Hey guys, how are you today? Good.
0: Hey everyone.
2: Doing all right. Hey Phil.
1: All right, as is the case every week, we'll start with what's the buzz. Talk about what's making the most noise in the areas you cover. Ryan Yonkman, you go first today.
3: Yeah, so I'm not going to steal Jake's thunder in regards to grains because that really has been the buzz even for our dairies when we're trying to talk about milk, which I think has a lot. say about the milk market right now we are still seemingly just stuck in this environment of man everything feels bearish sounds bearish and everybody's sick of talking about it so honestly we had a little fun in the last week digging through some interesting things in regards to how much milk in this country is covered through the lens of drp and what really became interesting is the dairy margin coverage program yeah that came in sometime after the 09 crisis and margins which we've talked about being very negative and are to an extreme, started to show something of real intrigue through the Dairy Margin Program in that we are stressing the $4 coverage level, which is that, hey, you pay $100 sometime in the fall and everybody gets it. And so to find out you've got maybe 50 plus percent of this nation's milk protected at that level, of which is never hit, I don't want to say it's a positive thing, but certainly in an environment where we're all looking for pennies, it was interesting to find like, hey, we've got a little bit of this wild card that may kick in at this very disastrous level with the dairy margin coverage program.
1: Yeah, we've got about $140 million of Q1 DRP indemnities going out or received. Uh, we figured, Ryan, we're about $145,000 of 950 coverage dollars at the 5 million pound threshold for uh, full year 2023 is our estimate right now for dairy producers. So those are some risk management lifelines that uh, could certainly help in times that, as you note, are are, are pretty depressing.
3: Yeah, a lifeline is uh, about
0: the best way we could we could frame that.
1: Brian Fletcher, what about your world?
0: Well, yeah, I, to look at it, I, I think over the course of most of this year, Phil, we've been navigating a lot of supply conversations, most notably EU. US and New Zealand returning to growth relative to how each of those regions was performing last year. So, an ongoing theme has been more milk in the market than last year. However, I'd say the buzz the last six to eight weeks, give or take, and, and has really builded uh, the last couple weeks has really been surrounding the demand side of the equation. A lot of that stemming from China, number one of demand, and basically any quantitative way we look at it is continuing to be not good. And now we're really starting to see it in the peripheral export destinations as well, such as Southeast Asia, and then most notably here recently, the US domestic market. So I don't know that there's very particular buzz with this, but I'd say it's not only a supply problem right now. We're seeing a lot of large areas of demand not come to the table, and and what we just aren't seeing growth in a multitude of areas right now.
1: And that's a real sticky situation, right? I mean, you know, yes, low prices will cure that, but you know, it takes a while for that to happen. I can't remember a time, maybe 2009 when the world was falling apart generally, that we've seen demand as. As kind of squishy as it sounds, like it is today,
0: and a lot of those export demand, we're always fighting for that marginal amount. But what's been really interesting here is the U.S. side of things has uh, we we faced a tremendous amount of pushback there.
1: So, Jake, usually the dairy crowd has the volatility crown. We do volatility very very well in the dairy space. But the last 10 days, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen December corn trade up to as high as nearly $6.20 per bushel, and then down to as low as like four ninety five. dollars 95 And uh, I mean, it happened, boom, boom, a couple of reports, a couple of rainstorms. What's going on in the grain world and the feed complex? What's What's the buzz in your world?
2: I think you've hit it all there, Phil. The weather is driving volatility, both in futures and in And a little bit in basis now, cash price products that aren't tethered directly to the exchange are kind of bouncing around in response to this. And we've got a long ways to go to clean up this weather market here, right? We're just into the first week of July. They say corn's made in July and beans are made in August. So we've got a full 60 days of weather left to trade and yeah huge range especially in corn futures there we're back down created a new recent low in the december futures traded down to i think 485 here today so with volatility comes opportunity so there's a lot of opportunity to manage risk on the exchange here and now we're starting to see some basis numbers move around we saw protein basis numbers drop Earlier on in the spring, in April and May, and now we're starting to see, particularly in the western half of the U.S., corn basis start to drift lower. It's not all across the board, but in a lot of regions, we've seen a break, of 20 or 30 cents there in basis as well. And I imagine many of those pockets that haven't seen that break yet will follow here in short order. And you'll have an opportunity at some of your better basis and futures numbers that we've had in corn in two years now. I know milk's pretty soft and going to make it tough to kick out a profit versus these feed values, but the feed values have started to come down and give us some sort of an opportunity.
1: So what ultimately broke the markets back? I mean, I I get it. There's been some rainstorms very helpful across the I-States. We desperately needed rain. We got some. But was it the USDA acreage report that kind of put the spike in this thing?
2: Yeah, I think that was kind of the, the final little push here going into the holiday weekend, finding some more corn acres. And yes, the rain certainly helped. And in addition to actually getting rain, continuing to put more of it in the forecast, you start to stack a few acres in there and put some rain to it. We continue to see very quiet export markets and Brazil continuing to pump grain out of their ports there. Those things all start to stack up and that's where we get these, these new contract lows coming in.
1: All right, let's uh, turn to the center of the plate where we kind of focus on one or two things. I'm going to start today with a cliche saying. Cliches become cliches because they happen to be true often enough. The legendary investor John Templeton once said that bull markets are born on pessimism, grown on skepticism mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. Now, we are a long, long way from euphoria, but uh, I think that we, are, uh, we could be born out of pessimism here any, any day now, uh, is my impression. Guys, you know, we keep coming back to the same topic, and it's inevitable that we sit here and say, okay, how long is this going to last? And you know, the simple answer is nobody really knows for sure. There's a lot of moving pieces, as we discussed. So I thought it'd be fun today to to just kind of make some, you know, projections or predictions or offer some thoughts on what you expect to see over the next, whatever, six to 10 weeks, call it, you know, between now and Labor Day. Uh, Brian Fletcher, what, what about you? How do you see this thing playing out from your perspective on the commercial side of the street?
0: Touching on the demand side, Phil, that was referenced earlier. At least in the cheese market right now, on a spot basis, we are at problem solving prices. So we should be attracting marginal exports. We should be encouraging promotional type activity from a domestic standpoint. The question is you know, I would say the longer we're down here, the more of the problem we're going to solve. But when we're looking at our market relative to the rest of the world, we stick out like a sore thumb right now. There's no other metric out there close to the dollar thirties. I think the the next lowest alternative right now is out of Europe, which is a dollar sixty five. So I would say we've made the move, at least in the spot market, that will be helping get us out of this mess. If we see the rest of the world move down, then that can create a problem. Or if we go up immediately, then that can, you know, kind of delay solving that problem. So if I had to put a point of Reference out, I would say if we're here in the 135 to 150 area for another couple months, then I would, I'd be willing to think that the fourth quarter is at a much higher cheese price. So I don't know if that's a fair forecast, but I, I'm getting the sense that we're at a point now where we should be finding that marginal demand, at least on a spot basis here.
1: It's not like we need to go to a dollar 25 to accomplish the task, right? I mean, you know, if the question is are we low enough? Yep. The answer is probably
0: Absolutely. I think the the big question we have is our spot price compared to our fourth quarter futures is still drastically, there's a, I want to say our fourth quarter is trading a and a half. So if you were to take the dollar and a half and compare it to EU MOTS pricing right now, we're still too high on a deferred basis. So the, the idea here would be the longer we stay apart from spot in the 130s and the forward curve in the 180s, we should see some convergence there. And hopefully that, you know, can help us, at least on a spot price, help clear some product. What are you thinking about
2: the U.S. consumer and how they play into the picture here with prices today? Sure.
0: Well, Jake, that's a really good question. I'd say on the commercial side a lot of times we're dealing with the wholesale side so i don't have a great way to articulate the consumer but what i would say is on the wholesale side we've seen behavior really change where you know we're in a much higher interest rate environment now so if you had an inventory program that was established under a lower interest rate environment your program in some cases is it looks a lot different today as in you're dealing with a higher cost of money, you might be forced from a mandate perspective to carry less safety stocks, which in turn is reducing the amount of volume that some wholesalers are going to have on hand. And then I would also say from that same type of level, because there have been so many improvements from a logistical perspective of how we are operating the last couple of years. It has also incentivized people, you know, wholesalers to not buy in bulk to the same magnitude that they were over the last couple of years. So either way, that's kind of saying people are just more comfortable buying less right now. On a consumer level, Phil, I guess I would toss it to you, just in terms of, I guess, from a general consumer perspective, are you seeing anything from a a macro level where people are really changing their behavior?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's been a lot, we've talked on this show and elsewhere about trading down out of branded to private label. I'm not sure you lose much, if any, volume there, depending on the application. I think there's just some, some spooky things out there. For example, in March, we saw SNAP benefits, the emergency SNAP benefits that came into play during COVID, those went away. And so you've seen a $50-ish per month reduction there. And then last week, the ball was in motion for student loan payments to resume in October. Uh, The Biden administration was seeking to provide broad relief against some of that. Uh, The Supreme Court decision that negated that means that unless something else happens, you know, 46 million consumers, $1.6 trillion dollars Payments resume in October. It's about $200 a month for the average borrower, according to Equifax. So, you know, you have massive inflation, you know, that's still out there. It's less than it was, but it's still pretty dramatic. And you have these little things that are picking away, right? You've taken dollars out of the pockets of the vulnerable people who, you know, it it makes a difference. And then you have, you know, youngish people that are on the hook for student loans. And we're kind of saying, hey, you know, we're taking money out of their pocket again. as Well, those things are really... Contributing to some of the concern out there about about how this is going to play out, because it's you know we have high high prices generally speaking at retail for everything, and now we're taking dollars out of people's wallets, and that that makes it a challenge. All right, Ryan, on that upbeat note, uh, <laughs> yeah. from, from where you sit on the producer side, what what kind of things are you looking for looking not forward to seeing, but you know what things do you anticipate happening here in the next six to ten weeks that could change the tide, change the tune?
3: Yeah, I mean we. With confidence, you're going to see the supply side of this thing continue to tighten up. We've already started to see that you know largely in the Southwest, which we've talked about numerous times on this call, is probably the the hardest hit part of this country in regards to negative margins on farm, right? You're talking high costs, uh, some of the lowest milk prices, you know basis issues that Jake could talk to. And so we've seen that first region get tight. Now that we're walking into a June milk check, And we're one week away from knowing what July really is going to be. And we're a week away from starting price, August. We know, you know, June is going to be anywhere from a buck to two lower than May. And we know now July is probably going to be a buck or two lower than June. And we're talking milk checks and we all got our advances a week or so ago. You're talking advances on the June that range from $10 to $16. And yes, I said 10. That's a real number we've seen. I hate to keep going back to the extremes of the situation, but the extreme in cash flow right now around this country are severe. And I think we went from, hey, a region that was bad to some other regions were too okay. So now you have a ton of regions that are bad and you have some that are historic, right? Where you're talking $10 milk against $20 feed cost type stuff. Milk's gonna tighten up. We've seen the slaughter data now for a solid month, right? Stress, the high end of five-year highs. I don't think you're gonna see that slow down. I think that will only ramp up as you're gonna start seeing now. I think other parts of the country react similar to Southwest. You know, and then you get some wild cards, right? Even weather and dairy can matter. We finally got our first heat wave rolling through California. I had a buddy text me this morning. The you other know, 100 to 120 all this week. You hate to bank on those things, but they happen. They are. So, you know, we're feeling comfortable like you're going to squeeze supply. But the risk goes back to what you guys just, <laughs> in not such a fun way, talked about. I was like, hey, if we get milk tight, what does that look like if demand is still only okay? Yeah, I think where you get optimistic is, hey, by the time demand gets tight, say Q4 or, or supply gets tight, is that ironically when demand turns back on and hey, there's your fun story. Up and away we go, right? We don't have product and the demand comes back. I think that's what we all want to believe. But that consumer side of it, I think is is really frustrating for a lot of us in regards to trying to predict the change there. I think you can feel better at this point that supply truly will tighten up.
1: Yeah, just, uh, I mean, just like the, the demand question, about right? is the price low enough to, to, to matter. And that, that's quite clearly true on the supply side as well. Jake, you know, we tend to kill these crops a few times every year. Uh, we've done a really advanced job of that this summer. It's barely even summer, and we've killed the crop a couple of times. What do you see ahead for the next uh, several weeks in terms of the grain markets and the feed markets? What are you watching?
2: Phil, I think we're just going to continue to see some volatility here, right? We've got a couple of conflicting factors that are going to be pulling this market in two different directions. We're looking at what does yield shake out to be at the end here? Again, going back to weather, we haven't had a weather issue like this for a decade. And so it's hard to really know what the genetics are capable of now. So are we still in a low 170s or mid-160s type of national yield, or do we already have a 15 something on this thing? It's very difficult to say this early in the year. And then the other piece of it is, what are exports going to look like next year, particularly to China? They had been a pretty big buyer of our corn the last couple of years, and then they dropped off pretty significantly this year as they stepped into the Brazilian market for the first time and again, about a decade. And so those are the two big wild cards. They're both pulling this market in opposite directions. So it's a matter of how do those things pan out? And unfortunately, we won't have a real good look at that until probably October on the yield side. And then uh, depending on how our crop shapes up and then what the uh, South American crop starts to develop into this winter and into early next spring will determine what. China does for our
1: export program. We've touched on weather. We've touched on China. I think, I mean, what else is there to talk about, right? Those are always seem to be the key factors this time of year when it comes to the grain markets. All right. That's it for today's show. Thanks, guys. Thanks to our panelists, Ryan, Brian, and Jake. Thanks as always to Paige Driscoll, our master media person for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app, I invite you to check out our new online portal at insights.ever.ag. There you can find all of our publications and all of our shows like this one. If you're interested, contact us at insights.ever.ag.